Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Episode 241 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. The Super Bowl matchup is set, and Bet Online is your number one spot for all your prop bets to bet the spreads, bet player totals, you name it. Bet Online has you covered, not just for the Super Bowl, but for NBA, NHL. Tennis, boxing, you name it, Bet Online is your number one spot for all your sports wagering needs. So head to Bet Online, get in on the action today. Use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to get a fifty percent welcome bonus to your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. With that said, episode two forty one fourth, the love of the game. Let's get this work. I'm expressing with my full capabilities, and now I'm living in correctional facilities. Cause some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor. My behavior is hereditary, but my technique is very necessary. Blame it on Ice Cube because he said it gets funky. When you got a subject and a predicate, add it on a dope beat, and it'll make you think. Some suckers just tickle me pink to my stomach, cause they don't flow like this one. You know what? I won't hesitate to this one or two before I'm through, so don't try to sing this. Some drop science while well, I'm dropping. All right, we're back. Episode 241 for the love of the game on the Bleed Podcast Network. Coming to you on a Sunday evening with yours truly. It's ATH Aaron Tobin. As we're back behind the mic and wanted to record this fresh. Fresh off of a championship Sunday, a very entertaining championship Sunday. I know in the past couple of weeks I have ranted and raved about how the NFL is a bad product, how largely week in, week out we see bad football, but I got to hand it to them. That may have been the regular season, but these playoffs have been incredibly entertaining, and today was no different. Today had two very entertaining games Two good games, two games that were a little maddening at a point, but still it was a very, very good watch of NFL football on Sunday. So let's start with the early game. Kansas City 17, Baltimore 10. Kansas City goes on the road in Baltimore, Baltimore being the number one seed after Lamar won his first home playoff game in his career, and Kansas City comes in and beats them on their home field. So Long for the uh, Kansas City can't win on the road after the crazy game in Buffalo. They back it up, win again on the road in Baltimore to head to the Super Bowl. Again, Patrick Mahomes now six years as a starter. All six years he's been in the AFC title game, and he's been to the Super Bowl four times. He's already won two. We'll extol Patrick Mahomes in just a second, but this game kind of flipped. I mean, early on, three of the first four drives resulted in touchdowns. 21 quick points and you thought it was going to be a shootout. You thought that maybe Lamar, after he had that amazing play to Zay Flowers, was going to be able to match Patrick Mahomes shot for shot, throw for throw. But that's not really what happened because this game flipped, flipped quickly and the defense is really turned up. And this game could have gotten out of hand for the Baltimore Ravens at the end of the second half. So, Ravens are down 14-10. Travis Kelsey catches a pass on third down. He may or may not have gotten it. I thought he was short. They go for it deep in Baltimore's territory. Pacheco gets stood up, turnover on downs. At that point, it was 14-7 Chiefs, and they were going into score. 
the Ravens get a turnover on downs. The Ravens don't do anything with it. Anyway, the Kansas City Chiefs get another field goal before the end of the half. 17-7 Kansas City. It could have been way worse. And then Baltimore's defense was awesome. Absolutely awesome. They held Kansas City scoreless for the entire second half. And even though they held Kansas City scoreless for the entire second half, what are you going to say about Patrick Mahomes? Because every big play that they needed to have, that they absolutely needed to have, big third down conversions, when you thought that Baltimore was going to get that stop, that early stop to give them good field position, whatnot, Patrick Mahomes made the plays. And let's face it, I know what the final numbers say. Lamar Jackson was not very good in this game. He wasn't. The throwing of the football was still a major bugaboo of the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And even still, they made it interesting late. Even after the interception where he threw it into triple coverage, they got a field goal, 17-10, and had an opportunity to onside kick. They didn't get it. And you can look at the interception, but the real turning point of the game was when Zay Flowers after catching a long ball from Lamar Jackson, catches a ball crossing the middle, going underneath. Looks like he's going into the end zone. By the way, this is right after Zay Flowers made a big catch. I mentioned that big catch on the long ball. Gets up, throws the football at the defender, gets called for taunting, back 15 yards. He then fumbles on like the half-yard line going into the end zone. Touchback, Chiefs, any momentum the Ravens had in that game went out the window. Just the only thing that was worse than Lamar Jackson's play was the fact that the Ravens were so incredibly undisciplined. They had multiple penalties that killed them. I mean, at the end of the first half, the roughing the passers, the unnecessary roughness, like it directly led to three points for the Kansas City Chiefs at the end of the first half. And it was just an incredibly undisciplined team. And against Patrick Mahomes, you can't be undisciplined. And yet their defense was tremendous in the second half. But still, it's little stuff like that that you need to be perfect on to beat the guy. It didn't matter that he didn't have a huge game. He made every big play imaginable. And you saw it on the the pass at the end of the game to seal it, where they go zero blitz and Andy Reid dials up a pass play. Most coaches will call a run play there, try and play the clock game. I mean, Lamar Jackson isn't getting that play call. Very few guys get that play call. The opportunity to throw that pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that he caught on the deep ball, cover zero, ball game. Patrick Mahomes ices the game. And for a guy who looked a little bit washed up a lot of the year, Travis Kelsey had himself a throwback game. And the Chiefs seem to have turned it on when it matters most, and they are back in the Super Bowl again. Four times in the last six years. Four times! What else can you say about the guy? Another win for Patrick Mahomes when he's an underdog? And yeah, we'll get into that because right now the opening line has San Francisco favored. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but we'll talk about that next week's episode. But 
What else can you say about the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes? He's arguably the best to ever do it already. He's on pace. I've said it before. I said it again. He's on pace. He's no worse than the second best quarterback to ever play right now. And the resume is only going to grow when he compiles stats. Has a little bit of longevity. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. As for the Ravens, their defense stepped up in the second half, but Lamar just doesn't have that it factor. And again, that's being a little harsh on Lamar because it seems like nobody can be Patrick Mahomes these days in the AFC, unless you're Tom Brady or Joe Burrow. Josh Allen couldn't do it. I mean, Josh Allen played better in his loss and his losses to the Kansas City Chiefs than Lamar Jackson did. But Lamar just doesn't have the magic. He doesn't have it. He's gotten better this year, but he just doesn't have it. And I, I there were a couple of guys in the group chat there and they were so confident about the Ravens. So, so confident. And I just, I could not believe it. Like, I, I know I'm a very opinionated guy, as you guys all know. And I think my opinion is golden. I think I know everything. But if this playoffs in the NFL has taught you anything, it's like, don't go against Patrick Mahomes. Just don't do it. And I ended up being 10 and 2 against the spread in these playoffs. So I think I know a bit about the sport or I have a good sense of what's going on this season. But yeah, kudos to the Chiefs. They're back in the Super Bowl and they're going to be playing the San Francisco 49ers who held off. I shouldn't even say held off, who had a monster comeback against the Detroit Lions. San Francisco 34, Lions 31. I'm just going to start here. I am absolutely sick for the Lions fans. The Lions blow a 17-point lead. Weird decisions to go for it on fourth down. I know Dan Campbell has done that all year. It has worked. And honestly, one of them, the play worked. Josh Reynolds got hit in the numbers. He dropped the football. It's not on the coaching staff, but the game really flipped when it was 24-10. Lions are driving. It's fourth down. You have the opportunity with a 45-yard field goal to put yourself up three scores, 17-10. to 10. And Campbell made the decision to kick at the end of the first half when the Lions were on the doorstep, basically on the goal line. He took the three points, which was smart. At a certain point, you have to take whatever analytics or whatever coaching decisions that you swear by that going for it, it you know, gives you a better opportunity to win. You got to be aggressive. Sometimes you just have to play the game the way the game is playing out. And Campbell not taking the three points to go up 27-10 or potentially go up 27-10 was crazy. And then what happens Brock Purdy, who started out a little slow, starts getting a little hot. Get that crazy play to Ayuk. The 50-yarder that should have been intercepted, bounced off the guy's face. Ayuk catches it down at like the six-yard line. A play later, Ayuk is in the end zone. Then you get a fumble recovery by San Francisco. They go into score. Tie game. Just Dan Campbell with the fourth down 
decisions to go for it really hurt the Lions' chances to win. Because the downside was exactly what you saw. It stopped the momentum and it just, it took the air out of their sails. And I really think if he takes three points when to go up 27 to 10, they win the game. I mean, he left six points on the board. They lost by three. I know it's not that simple, but sometimes it kind of is. And when everybody's going to be clowning on Dan Campbell, first of all, he's gone from 13-3-1 to 9-8 after starting 1-6 to now 12-5. So he's clearly doing something right. They are building something in Detroit. But I thought today's second half was a little rough for Dan Campbell. I feel so sorry for Lions fans. I mean, I was on them plus seven. It was another win against the spread, 2-0 today. But I really just, I wanted the Lions to win because as being a Knicks fan who knows what it's like to root for a tortured franchise, we kind of have a kingship with other tortured franchises and other tortured fan bases. But about the Niners... The narrative with them was that they couldn't come from behind and win. Now it's two straight games where they have come from behind and win. And Brock Purdy showed you something. Brock Purdy was awesome in the second half. Made every single throw, got out of pressure, had over 50 rushing yards, or basically eluding guys, picking up first downs with his legs. And to all the naysayers who said that Brock Purdy was just a game manager and he has elite skill position players, yeah, that's great, but did you watch the film? He made those plays. He made those plays to get those guys open. He made those plays on the ground. Brock Purdy's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. You can't name 10 better. Jared Goff also is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, and I think he played pretty well today, if not for bad drops at inopportune times. But the Niners after being in the NFC title game last year, got totally boned over. Well, not really boned over, but just unlucky with the injuries to Brock Purdy where he couldn't play. They didn't have a quarterback who could play are back in the Super Bowl. And now you have the Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers, something you saw a couple of years ago. Opening line says San Francisco minus two and a half. I don't have a feel for it right now. I would lean San Francisco. But again, Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable as an underdog. So it would be really foolish to say bet against Patrick Mahomes. We're going to focus on that next week. But yeah, it was a really fun, entertaining championship Sunday. A A great, great product the NFL put out today. Even if both games Looked very different. One was super high scoring. One was not high scoring. But it was still tremendous high level and and entertaining for all. Anyway, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk a little bit about NBA stuff with a recurring guest uh, later on in the segment. But I just wanted to come on right after the games are fresh and just talk about it. Talk about it. Congratulations to the Chiefs. Congratulations to the Niners. I feel really bad. For the Lions and the Lions fans, I don't feel bad for the Baltimore Ravens. They're incredibly unlikable, and their true colors showed on display today in terms of being 
you know, kind of bitch asses when they played with the stupid penalties. So, yeah, they can kick rocks. And anybody who was telling me that Lamar Jackson was on nearly the same level as Patrick Mahomes, it's just not – It's not the case as much as ESPN wants to push the narrative, as much as people on Twitter want to push the narrative. It's not. Look at the play call that Andy Reid drew up to ice the game. That play call is never drawn up for Lamar Jackson, ever. It's just not. That's the difference. That's the difference. And if you're not as good as 15, you better be super disciplined and the Ravens weren't. So, yeah. Looking forward to the Super Bowl. We'll talk about that on next week's show. But, yeah, I wanted to talk a little NBA stuff, a little all-star stuff, and talk about some Western Conference teams where we can get to recurring guests in just a matter of moments. So we're taking a break from football talk. we got plenty of time to talk about the Super Bowl. I know I talked about the NFC and AFC title games in the monologue. I am happy to bring on a recurring guest, somebody I haven't spoken to in a while, a North Cal guy. We're going to talk to him about Northern California hoops and some all-star selections. Greg Silver, Believe Podcast's own. Greg, how are we doing, bud? Long time. Yeah, what's going on, Aaron? Thanks for having me again. I'm glad we're getting to reconnect. And there's a lot of great stuff happening in sports right now. Of course, in my market with the 49ers, but also your New York Knicks looking pretty good too. So uh, I'm excited to get into all of it. It's been remarkable. Uh, I, I cannot believe that their record is as good as it is uh, since the OG and OB trade. I love the trade. I think they're way more watchable. The fact that Jalen Brunson, we'll get to him when we talk about all-star selections, uh, could very easily be a top five MVP candidate is wild. I, I never thought in, in my wildest dreams that I'd ever say that. When I talked about the original signing, I, I never imagined him being this good, but this is this is great. I, I still have my guard up because I know that regular season basketball and playoff basketball look a lot different. And I, I still think that the Knicks are a better regular season team than a playoff team when it comes to the ability to win a title. But I, I'm enjoying this. As cautiously optimistic as I am, I'm enjoying this. But I want to really talk about two basketball teams in your market. And obviously the Golden State Warriors have been a flagship team uh, for the NBA, been, you know, one of the premier teams. They've won a lot of titles, uh, done a lot of winning in the last couple of years. Right now they're struggling in 2024. They had, you know, their assistant coach tragically passed away at a way too uh, early age. They've had a little bit of turmoil this year. We're going to get to them. But I want to start off with the Sacramento Kings, right? Everybody's darling last year. They were the three seed in the Western Conference, had an awesome seven-game series. I know it was in the first round, but not all first-round losses are created equal. They had an amazing seven-game series with the Golden State Warriors. Curry goes for 50 in game seven, just awesome. This year, they're 27 and 18. They're good for fifth in the Western Conference at the time of the recording. They're six and four in their last 10. They've won four straight. They kind of had a little bit of a malaise, but they're, again, winning four straight. They're coming out of it. Kevin Herter shooting the ball better. Uh, He was sort of riding the pine a little bit. Um, Where are the Kings right now? And and I, I wanted to ask because the trade deadline's coming up. They've been rumored to be in on Pascal Siakam. Obviously, they didn't get him. 
The there was some Zach Levine talk, maybe a little bit, but I think that's died down. Where are the Kings right now? Considering last year was such such a success, they made the playoffs for the first time in what was it like fourteen years, and the hype isn't as much there this year. But is that a bad thing? No, I don't think so at all, especially when you consider that I think it was 17-year drought even uh, that the Kings had to deal with. And I always love talking about Yeah, 06. Yeah, yeah. So I, I always like talking about the Kings because, I, you know, I was born a lot closer uh, to Warriors land, in fact, in Oakland, and then spent the first part of my life there, but then moved a lot closer to Sacramento where I spent the bulk of my childhood and, and growing up. So a lot of my friends from hometown – are Kings fans and I know how dedicated they are. And uh, they're a good team to key in on because it's like, I don't have the emotional attachment that they do, but I've always been able to look at them uh, from a pretty analytical perspective. And uh, I'm glad you bring up last year. Cause I think that's where I want to start. Actually. I don't love the narrative that's gone around where people say, Oh, the Kings just weren't ready to win last year. Yeah. They weren't ready to win a title and they weren't ready to go to the finals. But ultimately what happened is they had one of the best players in the entire world just go crazy and refuse to lose in a game seven. And that's what happens in playoff basketball. Sometimes I think they were down three two. they went into San Francisco and chase center and completely embarrassed the warriors to force yeah. a game seven. When the warriors just walked on the court, like, Oh, we can just show up and win the game. So uh, De'Aaron Fox proved he is a superstar level talent. And I'm hundred percent willing to go that far. I know you're a big Fox guy, so Huge. we don't have to spar about that. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's fine that the hype level isn't necessarily there this year. And one thing I actually really like about the Kings, if we're just going to talk big picture, long-term wanting to achieve that goal of making it to a finals or competing and bringing home championships is I don't like the, let's make a drastic move right now because Mike Brown has come in. He's built such a great culture. I know Harrison Barnes re-signing wasn't the flashiest thing for an older player, but this is kind of about building continuity and keeping the same culture that was going so well for them last year. So I think not straying away from that after so many years of dysfunction, bad first round picks, uh, trades that just seem to make no sense. I actually really like where the Kings are at. And I know that, yeah, maybe they're still not ready to go be one of the premier teams in the Western conference, but after all they've been through in Sacramento, why not just continue building on what's finally worked? And what'd you say, 27 and 18? That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I mean, they're playing 600 ball right now. I I yeah. think they've kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Like, they're kind of undervalued in terms of the pecking order of the West. I mean, the West is, is super jam-packed at the top. I mean, the top six are, like, really, you know, th- th- those are tough teams that that – any of those teams can kind of win a playoff series, even though I'm not as high on the Suns as most are, even though they've looked better as of late. I, I just, there's something uh, holding me back. I think they're too small and I don't think they're deep enough, but I, I just, I, I think it was, it was such a great story. The light, the beam stuff. It'd been 17 years since they were like relevant and, you know, Fox has kind of come back down to earth in terms of clutch situations. Like, he was so outrageously good last year. He hasn't been nearly as good this year. I mean, he's having a great season uh, overall. But 
I'm just not sure what the move is for them to take the next step right now if it's not internal development of their guys getting better. Obviously, they need to keep Malik Monk, who I think can easily win sixth man of the year. I know they probably would love to get a little bit bigger on the front line to help Sabonis in the playoffs with uh, with rebounding and, and defense. You know, Siakam would have been great there. And they, and they went for it. They were in the sweepstakes. They didn't get it done. But for this season... Well, I don't think Siakam was going to sign long-term and they were just like, right. why would we do the trade? Exactly. I just... Yeah. You know, for right now, staying the course I don't think is a bad thing. No, not at all. And you can't say that for every team necessarily. But for Sacramento, I it's like I said, why would you go do something drastic when you finally are trending in a really nice direction? And you don't necessarily need to look at it from, hey, this year isn't the year because the playoffs always bring some craziness. And I think we're seeing a lot more parity in the league than we've seen for the better part of the last yes. decade. So I don't want to just write anybody off, but um, I think they absolutely could be a team within the next five years that has a real window to be a team that can come out of the West and maybe even bring home a championship. I mean, winning in the league is hard, right? There's 30 teams. One team gets to bring home the trophy every year. And uh, that's something I always got to bring up being in this current market when people act like, I don't know why the Warriors aren't in the finals every single year. Uh, maybe because it's hard. Um, but I, I think the Kings are in a really good spot, to be honest, if we're talking big picture. If there was one move for them to make and by the way, for all the Kings fans, is they're not putting Keegan Murray in trades unless it's for an absolute bona fide superstar because he's been awesome for them. And he's just getting better. His shooting has been excellent. Like He's becoming more well-rounded as a player in terms of offensively. Defensively, he's getting smarter like they're not trading him just for a marginal upgrade, all right? So, Kings fans, you don't have to freak out about that. But if there was a move around the margins for them, what do you think that move is? Like, what's the ideal move for them, given where they are right now? If they could just bolster it a little bit. You actually took the words right out of my mouth, Aaron, because I was going to say, before you got into it, not trading Keegan Murray. Uh, I got the chance to watch a Warriors-Kings preseason game, so I just saw Murray play in spurts in person, and I'm thinking, man, this guy's a monster for where he's at with this young in his career. With what there's at, out there right now, I don't really know if there's anything that I think is trade-worthy because the Kings aren't in a desperation situation like the other team in Northern California, which we'll get to. Yeah. So I don't think there is a trade that they need to make with the current trade market. I mean, yes, I think Zach Levine would be an awesome piece, but you're probably conceding Keegan Murray in a trade package there. And I don't like it. So I, I kind of think stay put. One name I would look at is a guy like, um, What's his name on Detroit? I, I think Detroit is the obvious team in terms of picking guys out. Uh, Isaiah Stewart. I think he would be yeah. a guy that would help the Kings a lot because, you know, as tough as Sabonis is, and I love Sabonis, I was uh, standing on the table when my friends were telling me that the Halliburton for Sabonis trade was, quote, a trade rape. And I'd like to remind them that Sabonis is basically leading the league in double-doubles. He's like seventh in the league in assists. Um, and Tyrese Halliburton, as great as he is, 
you know, has never played in the playoff series. So let's just slow down before calling him Chris Paul 2.0. All right. But yeah, so I do think that he needs a little bit of, you know, uh, of reinforcements, of physical reinforcements when it comes to the playoff time. So like a guy like Isaiah Stewart, who I think can be had because Detroit has like all these big guys and eventually, you know, they're going to have to choose one or two. And I, I can't imagine them not choosing Jalen Duran. Uh, by the way, Knicks draft yeah. pick, uh, the Knicks could use him right now, but I can't complain about the Knicks too much right now. But <laughs> there's always something. I'm tortured. It is what it is. But, yeah, a guy like that is is somebody for the Kings. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think the Kings just need to play basketball together. And yeah. if the bonus makes one or two jump shots in big spots in game seven, if Fox doesn't necessarily break the top part of his finger – the Kings could have easily been in the second round. And then even them being a five seed, the, the conversation and the narrative around them would be a little bit different. Oh, hundred percent. And that's, what's hilarious is that uh, little things and we, you know, we're in football playoffs territory right now, right? Like you look at every single team that makes it to a certain point. There's always a little bit of luck that goes into it. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first. More to than admit. a little bit, more than a little bit. It, it, that, oh, that's what yeah. sports is. And I'd be the first to admit that with the Warriors' most recent championship run, I don't like. I think to say, "Oh, they got lucky every step of the way." It's like, well, that's that's a broad term, but I think they got favorable matchups. I think getting Dallas as your conference finals opponent and not Phoenix when DeAndre Ayton has historically kind of torched them compared to other teams, I think that was a win-win situation. And then they really earned it against Boston. So it's not like an asterisk of a championship. But the point being. Every step in every round, there's always a bunch of little things that go into it, and people quickly forget that, and it comes out in the wash. Let's talk about the Warriors now. It's a good transition. Yeah. Uh, a team that was projected to win 47 and a half games in Vegas before the season started. Well, right now, they are 20 and 24. They've had a rough season. We have Draymond Green drama, as I mentioned, the tragedy in the family. Uh, Steph Curry has been brilliant, but he's basically been a one man band and it's really hard to be a one man band when you're six, three and you're 35 years old, no matter how great you are, where do they go from here? Because obviously this team values its own guys who, who have won them a lot of titles, but I don't think those guys are capable of supporting Steph Curry the way he needs to anymore. Like Clay Thompson is an absolute shell of himself. He's actually kind of aware of it. Like he had that press conference saying like, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get back to the player I used to be. Um, Draymond Green has had his issues. Um, and Kerr's struggling with rotations right now. So like, like what do they do this season? Because he, you want Steph Curry to at least be in a play-in tournament to try and get him into the into the dance. And I do think they'll still get there. But is there anything realistic that they can do to improve this season? Or do they go the complete other way and do what teams normally would never do and just say, the run was awesome, it, it's over, and now we just got to reset the deck? It's I've had a lot of chances to talk about the Warriors and it kind of 
I don't want to say flip-flops, but there's a lot of up and down and kind of just analyzing it. And then there's always a new wrinkle that's thrown in there, whether it's something real life, like the tragic passing of Dan Milojevic or something that's more basketball related, like Draymond Green's multiple suspensions. I mean, look, here's the deal. Nobody moves the needle for that team more than Draymond Green. And he's not the best player because that's Steph Curry. But the bottom line is when Draymond Green is playing high IQ basketball, it makes a massive big difference for a team that without him is pretty bad defensively. But when Draymond is going around with a lot of antics and costing his team, that's when they're at their worst and they have no sense of identity. I think what's tough about the Warriors is that down the stretch of games and why they haven't really been able to protect leads that they build up is their offensive identity in clutch time situations is really teams are going to key in on Steph Curry and he has to take very contested shots, which he can make, but that's not really your ideal scenario for again, a 35 year old six foot three kind of player. I'm at the point with, with everything that's happened, including what the, they've had to go through emotionally as a team because Draymond Green has made it so that Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins can share the court together, which is something that has previously been a disaster this season. I think you got to kind of see it through this season. And that's not because I think that, oh, well, now they're going to be a playoff team. I think it's more, hey, you guys kind of made this decision last offseason, right? Right. Like the Chris Paul trade wasn't perfect, but you had to get rid of Jordan Poole's contract because that proved to be a massive mistake. And by the way, no disrespect to Jordan Poole, but it's not like he's lighting up the league in Washington right now and being James Harden 2.0. Um so I'd say he's he doing of... the exact opposite of that. Yeah. 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 And uh and so here with the Warriors it's like I think you kind of see the season through. I don't think there's a single move out there you make. I mean, maybe if DeJounte Murray you can somehow get in a trade package, maybe that can help. I think you got to kind of just reset and retool after the season. And I don't think the title contention window for Stephen Curry is done because of the way he has been playing. But there's a lot of truth into, hey, they got to find a way to cut their losses and move on. And Clay Thompson, if he wants big money in the offseason, they probably don't give it to him. If he's willing to take a cut and just want to retire as a warrior and take maybe more of a secondary role, That's a possibility too, but they don't have the luxury of avoiding the hard conversations anymore, being a team that's 20 and 24. So uh, I think that in the Bay Area, you know, you're not trading Jonathan Kaminga at this point. Hold 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 that thought because I I, I want to bring up Kaminga right now. So it's interesting you said they're not going to trade him. Is that because there's no one on the market right now who's worthy of giving him up because he and Steve Kerr have had a little bit of a, an interesting Rocky relationship. So what do you make of that situation? I think they're going to be just fine. The the two of them, by the way, I th- it's like funny being out here because Jonathan Kaminga is such a triggering player for a lot of fans where it's like, if they're Kaminga fans, they have a hard time admitting that, he does anything wrong ever, and that Steve Kerr is the worst thing to ever happen to the franchise. 
Or there's the other side of it that goes so far as to say, well, Steve Kerr won championships and Jonathan Kaminga is completely immature and he sucks. The truth is, uh, I think both can be true in certain ways. I think Steve well, Kerr... He's 21 years old. Like, that's yeah. normal. Right. So I think Steve Kerr's earned a leash because the core players love him and they've had a lot of success. And I think Jonathan Kaminga is 21 years old and needs to grow. And I think he's been playing awesome basketball as of lately. And that doesn't mean he's perfect, but they can't expect him to be perfect. So to answer your question, Aaron, uh, I think it's the Warriors actually like where they're at with the Jonathan Kaminga trajectory that the only trade you make is if you can, if you're just trying to win it all this year now. And I think a lot of people believe well, Jonathan Kaminga could be the second best player behind Steph Curry and that team can win a title. I don't think that's true at this point. Um, by the way, I think Draymond Green's the second best player and it's also not close. Uh, but that's not to disparage Kaminga in any way and how he's grown. So I, I think they're actually in a really good spot with Kaminga with how he's played over the last month, uh, ever since that whole debacle of Kerr not putting him back in in the Nuggets game. And yes, he should have done that. Uh, but I also think that when you're up 18 with six minutes to go sometimes and the game gets close, you just get kind of caught as a coach because that's not normal. Um, I think he got caught in a bad situation and with the result, it looked terrible. So uh, I think I, I don't think there's anyone out there that they would trade Kaminga for, especially because they're really pleased with where he has been as a player over the last month. And also the comments he's making are very mature at the podium. What's the pulse on the Bay Area's relationship with Steve Kerr? Has Steve Kerr's act gotten a little, is it wearing thin? Um, because I'll tell you this, and and I'm a fan of of his system. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the way the Warriors play. I love Steph Curry. I love how he transformed that team when he took over from Mark Jackson. However, however, Coaches who are super married to their system, uh, you know, a great coach adapts. And Kerr's holier-than-thou nonsense when he's talking about the whistle, uh, for example, the whistle with, um, you know, the, the Saturday night game against the Lakers, right? The double overtime. Well, that was game. all around trash officiating. I mean, both calls but, all but around. The war, but terrible. the Warriors take tons of threes. The way they play basketball is they take tons of threes. They don't drive the ball to the paint. Like, how can you get on the officials for having such a disparity in free throws when that's the style of play that you play? Steph Curry, I think, in, the, I think in that game, they, I think they were taking a lot more to the paint in that game, and they have been as of late. Jonathan Kaminga is part of the reason for that, um, and he's good at drawing contact, but. I hear you that they are a three-point shooting team. Like, that's always been their identity. In that game in particular, though, they had 52 points in the paint overall. And I know it was a high-scoring game, so it's not I a mean, crazy fraction. but 138 or something like that. What was it? Uh, 134. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But in general, they've actually been doing a decent job of getting to the paint. Uh, I think Curry in particular with – on his drives, doesn't get the friendliest whistle for the player that he is. But I digress. It's a whole separate discussion um, that listeners probably don't even want to hear at this point. I mean, the 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 foul, the it's interesting, right? Because I, I do believe Steph Curry has earned the benefit of the doubt. 
but the foul hunting is ridiculous. Like he, like Curry got called for a foul in last night's game against the Sixers when Patrick Beverly, like basically was driving and, and Ryan Russillo tweeted about this. And he's like, this is not a foul where he's basically like moving. Yeah. He turns his hips a little bit, but like, come on, like we can't be giving those whistles because scoring is already, you know, out of control. The defense has no, um, you know, no advantages whatsoever. They can't, you know, they're almost powerless. And I know Adam Silver clearly wants this, but I think the product, it, it's gotten so overboard where the product is tarnished. Like, for example, like we, we've seen the the big scoring outspurts, but the Luka Doncic 73-point game against Atlanta was an embarrassment. It was a complete embarrassment. Like, not all big games are created equal. And Bede's 70 on the Spurs yeah, he was going against Victor Wembanyama, who's completely overmatched physically. Zach Hans has no chance. But just look at the effort that they were giving as opposed to the Hawks. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, it, it, I just – I've kind of had enough of Steve Kerr being holier than thou on the podium um, and, and constantly whining about stuff where his teams have, you know, greatly benefited – from the way the officials call games, because let's face it, Draymond Green, I know he gets tossed out of a lot of games, but he gets away with more than anyone else would because he's a nutcase and should have been tossed out of even more games. All right, that's enough with Steve Kerr. I I did want to talk about, obviously, all-star starters were named last week. I think reserves are named this week. I think uh, tomorrow night time of the recording, correct? So I want to give your pick. So let's just run through the starters really quick. In the East, we had Damian Lillard, Tyrese Halliburton at guard, Giannis, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid uh, in the front court. In the West, we had Luka, SGA, LeBron, Durant, and Jokic. Um, Anything that you had an issue with? Um, I would have liked to see Jalen Brunson get that starting nod over – Damian Lillard, because I think that when you look at all-star selections, it goes beyond just individual performance. Like, yeah, Steph Curry is going to be an all-star, even though his team has wildly struggled. But Jalen Brunson has been... Hold on. Is he? We'll get to our reserve selections, but are we sure? I think he's going to be, but, like, it's not a slam-dunk case. I think if you go off of history, the answer is going to be yes. I hear you. It's not a slam dunk case, but I, I just think it's at this point, like, I can probably assume the answer is yes. going to be yes. I yeah. do too. Yeah. that's. I guess that's my point. It's not like, oh, it's a lock, but I don't think entertaining that whole discussion, it's like, eh, probably not. Um, I think Brunson, with the, what he's done as a Knicks, like, when, they, when he signed in the offseason a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, like, Oh, I really like Brunson. He was a great college player, turned into a really overachieving, hardworking NBA player. I don't know if he was worth all that money, especially for a team like the Knicks that's been a little dysfunctional with their contracts. Man, I'm so proud of Jalen Brunson. Like, just watching him and him being not just a legitimate NBA player, but just a legitimate NBA star for a real team. I mean... Uh, it's pretty incredible. And Damian Lillard, he is a tremendous player, but that team is a little dysfunctional. He hasn't been great defensively compared to when he was in Portland. Terrific, and he doesn't even try. It's actually embarrassing. And the team just fired their coach because 
they couldn't gel with the players. So uh, it was weird to see the Bucks get two all-star starters when you kind of take in the big picture. But that's just I, – I know many people were pro Brunson as a starter. Um, the only thing I would say I have an issue with is I don't like that when there's a tiebreaker, it goes to the fan vote because that's what ultimately decided it for Lillard. Look, the fan vote, it's fun. I'm glad they give the fans a real say in everything. But it's also a popularity contest at that point. Like what was – was it Steph and Luca in the backcourt a couple years ago when Damian Lillard was arguably the best out of any guard in the West? And then the tiebreaker sent him to the reserves. And even Luca was like, yeah, Damian Lillard probably should have got it over me. Um, so I just think the fan vote's fun, but we can't have that be a tiebreaker. I know that I'm going to get some blowback for this, but, and I know he's coming off a game where on prime time he had 30, 10, 20, and 10. But I'm not sure LeBron should have been a starter. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. I know what the numbers say. But first of all, that team is not very good. And we'll get into who we think are going to be the reserves. Like the Lakers are one game under 500. The fact that they may get two players on the team and the Sacramento Kings may only get one is ridiculous. It's honestly ridiculous. And LeBron's numbers don't impact winning basketball as much as they used to. Now, again, he's 39 years old, so it's not supposed to. But it's he's spoken about like it's, you know, he's the same level of dominant as he was 10 years ago. It's like, no, he's not. Like, he's good enough to get numbers. But the numbers don't result in winning basketball. Like, why is it that his Laker teams are never good offensively? Is it, it – it's always something with him. It's the teammates he picks, who he then jettisons out. It's the coaches. Maybe it's it's him, right? And, again, I still think he's great. But, like, he has to be culpable to some of this. So, yeah, I don't think yeah. LeBron should have been a starter. No, I, I'm with you on that as well, because when Curry wasn't selected a starter, I didn't really think much of it. I think SGA is incredible, and Luca's obviously doing what he's doing this season. But I walk in to work, and people are like, oh, what do you think about Curry not being a starter? And I was kind of like, I don't know, I'm cool with it. And they're like, well, why is LeBron a starter? And I'm thinking, they're like, I mean, I feel like it should have been both of them or neither of them at that point. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of hear what you're saying. Um it goes a little bit back to the I could vote. I could see Curry over Luca because Luca's aversion to playing defense is legitimately embarrassing. Also, I know we just talked about Damian Lillard being horrific defensively. <laughs> Luca, like his effort is even worse if it's possible. The only reason he's not looked at as being as terrible a defender as Damian Lillard is just because he's six eight. But he's he's awful. I mean, SGA is an excellent defender. Anthony Edwards is an excellent defender. Fox is a very good defender. Like, like Curry's a better defender than Luka. And it's whatever. But I, I'm not against Luka starting. But if you wanted to put Steph in that spot because of legacy, I'm totally okay with it. All right. With that said, who are your – we'll start with the West. Who are your Western Conference reserves? And how did you go about picking the order? Oh man, I got to, uh, I, I should probably get a better list in front of me. Um, uh, cause I'm just kind of going off the top of the dome. It's going to be Curry, uh, Anthony Edwards, 
I would like to see De'Aaron Fox get it. Although I I know he's um probably hasn't had the same pop in his game this year, like you mentioned with the clutch baskets and making all those big ESPN post splash worthy plays. Um, and then if we're talking Western front court, uh, who am I missing? Is uh to be There's honest, a lot I of guys watched to choose from. Kawhi Leonard, DeMontis Sabonis, Paul George, Laurie Markinen, Anthony Davis, Alperin Shengun. It's a lot of guys. This could be a hot take. I'd definitely put Shengun in there. He he made my honorable mention. He he's not cracking that list for me. He's not cracking it? Okay. No. Um, did you put both clippers in in the front court? I had Kawhi and Paul George in, both in the game, yes. I, I think that's fair, too, because of what they've done to really turn their season around. I mean, I think I Kawhi, should, I think Kawhi should have been traded. starting over Kevin Durant personally also. Kawhi's missed four games. He's been awesome. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's funny. The load management rules come into play, and all of a sudden the Clippers are playing their guys, and it's like, oh, they're actually pretty good. Like, what what's going on here? Yeah. Um, yeah, so – a tough discussion. Yeah, uh, did you put any T-Wolves in there? Did you put Cat or Gobert? Uh, no. My list was my two guards were Anthony Edwards and De'Aaron Fox. I had Kawhi, Paul George, and Sabonis in the front court. And I had Steph Curry and Devin Booker as my two wild cards. Anthony Davis was my toughest cut. I can't reward two Lakers when you're 24 and 25. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's tough on AD. Honestly, yeah. Uh, uh, you got me on the I'm fence. giving if Paul you, George the nod the over Anthony Davis. The Clippers are fourth in the West. Yeah, I'm going to say no on AD. I'm kind of with you there. All right. So no, no, no objections. Is there anybody else that you had differently? No, I kind of was liking Sengun, though. Um, but now I'm trying to think who I cut out of that. Because I do I do put Kawhi and Paul George both in the front court for what they've done with the Clippers. Um, I would love to reward Laurie Markkinen, but just not enough spots. It's only 12 spots. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, Anthony Davis, I'm sorry, but... I know everybody's could probably listen to this and say, I can't believe you're leaving that guy off the all-star team this year, given what he's done and he's had an awesome year, but I'm, I, I cannot reward two Lakers for being 24 and 25. Congratulations. You're in 11 seed. Awesome. I just can't do it. Just can't do it. People are going to call me a hater. I don't really care. All right, moving on to the Eastern conference. Who are your reserves? I had a lot tougher time. Picking seven guys for the reserves here, I just don't think it's as deep. A guy like Jimmy Butler, I just think has missed so much time that I, that he's not really in serious consideration. They've been in a free-for-all. He's so, a playoff all-star every year, but regular season, he's just like, yeah, I'll coast. Yeah, I, I still think the Miami Heat are dangerous. I know that they've lost seven in a row, but I still I'm scared of them in a playoff series. But whatever, that's a different conversation. So who are your seven reserves in the East? So, obviously, being on the West Coast, I watch a lot more Western Conference hoops than Eastern Conference. Um, This was a little tougher for me, too. I do think it seems pretty universal to say Brunson, Maxey, and Jalen Brown are probably going to be three of those seven. Um, 
I honestly like Paolo because the Magic have really overachieved and are kind of ahead of schedule. I think he is a very polished player, uh, especially for this stage of his career. I, if we're going to keep it on the Heat discussion, I will put Bam Adebayo in there for a front court spot. Um, and then I had him there too. Yeah, and then I guess what does that leave me two guys? So, ooh, this is where it gets tough because I'm like. I do like Donovan Mitchell, and I do think he cracks it for me. Um, They've been awesome, but then, and his numbers are crazy. You can make a case that he should start, too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I probably do go Donovan Mitchell. Uh, and then the one I would say I'd leave off before I get to a last spot is Derek White It was close for me, doesn't get it. But that said, I'm trying to keep the thinking consistent because we have been very pro-defensive guards. And he is very efficient defensively. I, I just don't think he cracks all-star for me this year, but a very impressive season for him regardless. Uh, and then the last one? Yes, yeah, so and then what do we do with Julius Randle? Because I think if we're just talking about selection, you put him on there. But obviously, he's not going to be able to play. So are we now discussing the replacement? I'm assuming you had Randle on there. I did reluctantly. Reluctantly, <laughs> because I couldn't justify putting Jimmy Butler on there. Everybody knows my my Randall um, opinions, uh, but I had Brunson and Mitchell as my two guards. I had Van Caro, Bam, in the front court uh, with Randall, who will be replaced. I have Maxi, and as much as I don't think he's nearly that good, I have Jalen Brown there too. So the Celtics get rewarded with two. And I think Porzingis will oh. get the Randall spot. I do think Porzingis has been the second best Celtic. Just because the missed games and, and Brown has come on of late and he's been pretty durable, I think Jalen Brown's going to get on there. But if you wanted to put Porzingis on there and if you wanted to reward Jared Allen for the season that he's having with the Cavs, I'd allow it. Um, but I have Randall on there being replaced by Porzingis. Butler and Jared Allen were my two tough cuts. I'm good with the Porzingis when you consider the success of the Celtics and the impact Porzingis has had of coming into a team that was already successful. Uh, that said, just being very biased, I've always been such a big Jared Allen guy for some reason. Like, you think he's like 32 years old. He's like, what, 24, 25? Um, He's awesome. When, yeah, when the Cavs season looks like it was going to go in the toilet, I was like, if Jared Allen's on the table, I, I would love the Knicks to get Jared Allen. That was before Isaiah Hartenstein turned into prime uh, Shaquille O'Neal, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I the, the Cavs have been good. Uh, I, you can make a case that Mitchell should be starting. But, so, yeah, I, he was my tough omission. I want to reward Jimmy Butler just because I know how good that guy is, but the Heat's record doesn't warrant it, and he hasn't played enough games. So, yeah, I I put in Randall. Uh, I don't feel great about it. I put in Jalen Brown. I don't feel great about it, but I have Porzingis taking the Randall spot. If yeah, you I, say, I think that's If you want to say Jared Allen over Bam Adebayo, I'm fine with it too. Um, but I just do think Bam's a better player. And they went I to the finals well. last year. So I, I do think he should be rewarded for that. Yeah. Uh, were you teetering with Trey Young at all? I know he's been a really polarizing one. No, 
No, I, I am a notorious Trey Young hater, and they're what? Like 10 games under 500. He plays no defense, and his teammates <laughs> hate him. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. When I As saw it was the, coming out of my mouth, I'm like, wait, I'm like, he hates Trey Young. Yeah, when, when I saw the fan vote come out that Trey Young was second, I know it's not completely fan vote. You know, players vote on it a little bit, media votes on it also for starters. I was just like, like we can't have this. Like, if people should be banding together to avoid this because he's the worst. That's okay. why the fan vote shouldn't be the tiebreaker. I mean, go like look around like the league. Like you cover the league. Is anybody clamoring to trade for Trey Young, considering how bad they are? Like, does he even have a market? I feel like the Lakers would do it. I could see that with them. Oh, so you're getting what? 10 cents on the dollar for the statistics he puts up? Listen, I, I think they're empty calorie stats, but still. Yeah, I'm not saying I would like the trade. I'm just saying I could see the Lakers being the type of team to be like, let's get some flash. Yeah, but that that's that's about it. I, I just I, I I'm so anti Trey Young in you know <laughs> for so many reasons. So yeah, that's my that's my all star ballot. So again, just to just to recap, who I had: uh, Dame, Halliburton, Giannis, Tatum, and Bead starting. Brunson, Mitchell, Bancaro, Bam Adebayo, Maxi, Randall, Jalen Brown with Porzingis replacing Randall, and then the West: Luca, SGA, LeBron, Durant, Jokic, Anthony Edwards. Fox, Kawhi, Paul George, Sabonis, Steph Booker. So, yeah, it's weird that Oklahoma City wouldn't get two guys given how good they are. Jalen Williams is making a late push. I just don't think he's quite there yet. Carl Anthony Towns normally with a player of his profile with the record would get on, but he's Carl Anthony Towns, and I just think people think he's corny and weird and – and don't respect him very much, and I don't necessarily disagree. So that's that's my bow. Before we let you go, and you've been awesome. Super Bowl pick. I know I know you're not a huge, you know, San Francisco 49ers guy, but that is your market, Bay Area. Right now, the line is San Francisco minus two. It went down to one and a half. It opened to two and a half. Now it's settled to two. Who you got? Well, just to preface that. That is not to say I dislike the 49ers. It's just that I didn't grow up a diehard. So compared to a lot of people I work with, uh, I can't claim the same degree of fandom. But, man, it's interesting, right? Because going into this, I would have said, going into the playoffs, rather, if you gave me this matchup, I would have said, well, gee, Andy Reid is a way better situational coach. But the 49ers, part of it feels a little bit like a team of destiny. I mean, they were on the ropes twice, and they figured it out. I don't think their defense and that defensive line that they've invested a lot in has performed up to par, but I got to I got to pick the Niners being here in San Francisco. I, I mean, the chiefs secondary is ridiculous. Like that defense has been the story of the year. Uh, it's really, can the Niners shut down an offense that has really stalled in the second half at times and maybe they can complete a third comeback victory. So I will take the 49ers and I'll take them. By six. Let's go with let's go with 27-21. So I am on record of being ridiculously hot uh with picks against the spread uh this postseason. I'm 10 and 2. Um it's 
I'm not sure I'll ever be able to duplicate this. I hope I will, but uh, it's been a great, great run. Congratulations. I thank you. I, I'm my initial lean, and I'm not giving my official selection until next week's show, but my first lean was 49ers. But then I think about Mahomes as an underdog, as I think like 10 and 1 in his career. I think the one being the Super Bowl loss to the Tampa Bay um, Buccaneers, or or were they favored? I don't even remember. So it's I think really, they were favored in that one. Were they favored in that one? I, I, I don't remember, but it's really hard to pick against him i'm still leaning 49ers but i don't feel good about it yeah i mean to be completely completely fair i'm like i don't actually feel good in the gut about betting against patrick mahomes but i'm surrounded by niner lands and i'm caught up in the magic i gotta pick them i gotta pick them I, I hear you. All right. Well, Greg, this is great. It's good to have you back on. It's been a while. We'll have, we'll have to uh, touch base soon after the trade deadline. See if uh, the Warriors do anything crazy. Uh, if the Kings do anything crazy or anything, um, obviously always a pleasure. And we'll speak soon. Absolutely. Uh, we'll have to get together for the Warriors-Knicks finals. What's crazy is that life. What's crazy is that my team has a better chance of getting there than yours, and I never thought I'd ever say that. But uh, good to speak to you, but have a good one. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again to recurring guest Greg Silver for talking a little Northern California basketball, some NBA all-star selections for the reserves. Good stuff from him, as usual. I hadn't spoken to him in a while, but it was good to get him back on. That's episode 241 for the love of the game. Take us out, NWA. in the neighborhood, and he's up to no good. When I start expressing myself, yell a slamming. Because if I stay funky like this, I'm doing damage. Your armor be too hyped and need a straight jacket. I got knowledge, and other suckers lack it. So when you see Dre, a DJ, on the mic, ask what it's like. It's like we're getting hyped tonight. Because if I strike, it ain't for your good health. But I won't strike if you just spread yourself. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.